Before we get started, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever had something that you just can't get enough of? You ever had something you say, I just can't get enough of this? You ever had something like that? Not necessarily something bad for you, right? But just something you say, I just can't get enough of this. I mean, there's definitely some things that we can get enough of, right? I mean, frankly, there's, there's certain meals that you've had and you're like, I, I've, had it, I've had enough. Maybe you're sitting down eating and you go, oh, man, I've had enough, right? Or maybe it's just a certain type of food and you go, I've had this, I'm, just, I'm sick of this meal. I've had it every Friday for 50 years, right? And I've, had, I've had enough of this, right? Or, I mean, there's things even more specific than that where you say, there, enough is enough. I mean, I don't need more than this. And this is going to sound kind of strange, but say something like a high school diploma. Man, you need one, right? Hopefully. And you go, That's it. I don't need two, right? I've had enough. One high school diploma is enough, right? Or how about, say you're going to go watch a movie. You say, okay, I need to buy a ticket, right? And you don't need two. There's just one of you. You say, I just need one. One ticket's enough to get in. Or a, a, a flight. You're going to take a plane, right? You just need a ticket. I don't need a bunch of them. I mean, there, you get to a place, you go, I've had enough. I, you know, this, is, this is all I need. It's not a, a repulsive thing. You just go, this, this, no, I got this, that's it. That's all I need. But there's some things you go, oh, I just can't get enough. I can remember, and one of my sons is gone, but the other one's back here. I don't want to embarrass him. But I can remember when my kids were little. Uh, you, know, you know how babies are when, they, when their hair is real soft? It's real fine, right? And, and you, you go over to them. And, and they're sleeping because that's when they're the best, right, behaved. And, and you go over to them and, and you just you lean down and they have that smell that you're familiar with. You give them a little kiss on the forehead. Let me ask you, who's done that with your kids before? Think back. Oh, yeah. Remember that? I've got to say, I don't think I could have ever gotten enough of that. I don't think I ever could have done that to me and said, oh, I'm done. I don't need to kiss my kids on the head anymore. Right? I still try to do it, but it's different now. All right? not the same. <laughs> uh, how about a, a spending time with your spouse? Now, it's kind of dangerous territory, but ma- imagine how it would go. Now, my wife's not in here, so I can say it. Imagine how it would go if I said, you know what, honey, I've been keeping track from the time we got married till now, how many, how many hours I've spent with you. And I kind of figure I've probably spent enough now. And so, see you later. How would that go? Would that go over well? No, you're, you're, whoa, right? In fact, there, there's probably some marriages that have crumbled for that reason. Maybe they haven't been keeping track, but they've had enough, right? Uh, I, I can't get enough of spending time with my wife. There's that time I just want to spend with her. And it would be odd or strange to say, I've, I've been keeping track. I only needed to spend... 538 hours with you in my lifetime. I've spent 538 hours. I'm done. Right? That's enough. And that wouldn't work. How about breathing? Right? You ever say, okay, I've, I've breathed, uh, you know, this many, 100,000 times since I was born. I don't know how many it would be. Maybe it's millions of times. I don't know. And I go, I, I'm done. I don't need to breathe anymore. I've breathed enough. I've got enough oxygen for the rest of my life. I can move on. I don't have to breathe anymore. That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? You, can, you, say, you know, as long as you're alive, there's certain things, and there's certain things you can say, and get enough of certain things I, I say, I, I've had enough. You know, frankly, there's, there's a lot of people who view Jesus 
as something they can get enough of. You know? They've got their belief in Him settled. I got that taken care of. In fact, they, I've, I've actually heard people will say, I got that taken care of. Boom, check. Done. Right? It's taken care of. I've got a basic understanding what it's all about. I got what I feel is enough to go on. And frankly, sometimes I have a difficult time understanding why we would, we would get together to talk about it more. Right? I mean, I guess that's a good thing, but... Why, why do we keep... I've got to think of... In fact, I've, I've heard people just in the last last year, right? Now it's the last year. I've heard people have even described, like we'll talk about getting saved. And they've talked about getting saved as, that literally, I've got my ticket. Right? That's all I needed. Need a ticket. That's enough. I'm good. Right? I met a guy just uh, about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, who said... You know, I've been thinking about doing this for years, getting saved, you know, and I've been thinking about doing it for years, and I just finally decided to do it, and I did it, so I'm good now. And that's how he described it. And maybe even hearing me talk about it, maybe you've, felt, maybe you've looked at it that way before. Maybe that's, how you, maybe that's how you think right now. You say, yeah, getting saved, just make sure you're saved, and, and you can move on with your life. But the question you have to ask is this. I mean, if we're basing this on the Bible... Is that how the Bible talks about salvation? Does it talk about it as something you can check off a list and I've got it done, I've got it taken care of? Or does the Bible talk about it in a different way? I mean, if we're basing it on what the Bible says, we have to ask the question, how does the Bible talk about it? You might be wondering, well, why are you bringing this up, Matt? Uh, we're in Ephesians, like it says, right? Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. The last section we were in verses 1 through 14. And, and the, the theme of those first 14 verses was how big is your view of God? How, how, you know, when you think about God, how big is your view of God? And, and the reason why we, we called it that was because that first 14 verses of Ephesians describes God in a big way. Maybe bigger than you realized. I know that as I started studying, God is much bigger, much grander than I fully comprehended before I started really digging into Ephesians. Well, now we're looking at the second part, verses 15 to 23. And the theme for this section I gave you last week is this. How big is your view of God's church? Right? How big is your view of God's church? And the reason for that is because right at the very end of this section in Ephesians, uh, Paul kind of ends it by talking about the church. And, and he talks about the church as the body of Jesus. And he talks about the church as the fullness of, of Jesus and the fullness of His power. And frankly, that's a, that's a very different way than how most people view church. Most people view church, and, and in fact, this isn't just me saying this. There's been studies done where they've gone around and polled people and interviewed people. And there's a lot of people in America right now that if you were to ask them, what do you think about Jesus? They'd go, oh, I love Jesus. He's great. But then they say, well, what do you think about the church? And like, ah, I could do without it. Right? There's a lot of people that are right in that spot and they say, I mean, that's, that's where America's at right now. I love Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the church. I just don't know if I like that or not. But yet the Bible describes the church in this way that says the church is the fullness of Jesus and the power of Jesus and the body of Jesus. And so we've got to take a step back and go, okay, maybe there's, maybe there's something wrong with how we've been doing church. Could be one of the questions we could ask. Maybe it's how people view church. But we can't blame all of it on how people view church. Maybe we have to ask, what about us? Are we doing church the way 
Jesus intended us. I mean, if we're supposed to be the body of Christ, are we doing church the way Jesus intended? Well, we got our first glimpse at what maybe Paul was talking about in uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. is what we talked about last week. And I'm going to reread those verses real quick. Just verses 15, 16, and 17. Ephesians 1, verse 15 says this, and I think I have it on a slide here for if you want to look up there. Uh, says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now think about that. Paul says, right at the very beginning, he says, For this reason, I've heard, because I've heard of your faith. Now, he's going to talk about why. Why is he saying for this reason? Why is he saying because? We'll get to that in a second. But notice, the characteristic of this church, this church that he's writing to, is that they are faithful. They're a faithful church, faithful to what, how Jesus views things. And they're also a loving church, right? And that's what we talked about last week. And so if we're going to be God's kind of church, we need to be a church that's faithful, Right? We view the world the way God would have us view the world. And we're also a loving church that we really need to pull together as a church and, and love each other the way a family would love each other. Right? The love of Christ for each other. I mean, that's what church is meant to be about. It's meant to be like a family. That we pull together through the, the tough times. And you see that in this church. And Paul said, I've heard about it. He's not even where Ephesus is at. He's over, at this point, he's off in prison somewhere. And he's writing, he's saying, hey, I've heard about you guys. I've heard about how your faith and I've heard about your love. And so those are the two things. But, but yet, I think this is really interesting. I, I mentioned to the teens today when I was doing the teen class, or sometimes I read the Bible and I go, now that's interesting. There's something I think really interesting about this. I mean, if we had a church that we said, man, this is a, absolutely, this is a faithful church, so faithful that people are hearing about how faithful they are. And this church is so loving that people are hearing about how loving you are. I would almost be like, man, this church has got it together. But yet, what does Paul say right away? He says, I'm thankful, right? I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you... In other words, I'm still praying for you. There's something more that you need. That you, need. you haven't gotten to a place, in other words, where I've had enough. I can push back. I'm faithful. I've got faith. And I, and I love the people around me. Paul says, I'm praying that God will give you this too. Yeah, in other words, they have not gotten to a place where this is enough. A lot of us look at Christianity that way. I've got faith and I've, I've got love. That's, I'm good. I'm good. That's it. i got my ticket. I'm going. I'm fine. Everything's good. Paul says, I'm still praying for you for these things. Right? I'm still praying for you. Well, that's interesting. So I want to take a look at what Paul's praying for. We're going to go through this pretty quick. We're just look at what is Paul praying for. So let's put this up here first. And just ask a question. What is Paul praying for? What is it exactly Paul's praying for? Right? Put simply enough, Paul's prayer is that God will give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. That's almost exactly what it says right there. Right? 
I do not cease to give thanks for you. So he's thanking God for them. But then he goes on, Remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. And so Paul's praying that God will give them this faithful, loving church. Right? He says, I'm praying that God is going to give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let's take a look at what those things mean. First of all, wisdom. What's the Bible mean when it talks about wisdom? The Greek word is the Greek word Sophia, right? Where we get like the word philosophy, right? And and just to put it as simply as possible, wisdom is the knowledge of the stuff that matters, right? This is the stuff that really counts in life. That's wisdom. It's not trivia, in other words. You know what trivia is? Right? Some people know a lot of trivia. You ask them some random question, they can wheel off facts like this. But wisdom is the knowledge of the stuff that really matters. And so I'm going to put it this way because of the context we're talking about. I'm going to put it this way. Wisdom, that's the deep things of God. That's the deep things of God. You know, I've got a lot of people that know me. You know, being a teacher... A school teacher, you get a lot of a lot of kids know you in years of doing that, right? You get a lot of people know you. But there's very few people that really, really know me. That know what's going on in my heart and what's going on in my mind, what drives and motivates me, right? There's very few people that really know me, the deep stuff of Matt, you might call it. Paul is praying for this church in Ephesus that God would give them a spirit of wisdom. In other words, God, he's praying that these people would know the deep things of God. The stuff that really matters about God. The deep knowledge of God. The second part of this is this idea of revelation. Revelation. Uh, this word relates to things that were once hidden. In other words, that's where it like revealed, if something's been revealed that was hidden, right? Oh, there it is. Now we can see it. That's what it means to reveal something. And so he's talking about, and just to put it as simply as possible, kind of go with this idea of wisdom, we might think of it this way. The secret things of God. So the deep things of God and the secret things of God. I want you to think about it this way. In God's economy, the way God does things, right? There is no elite There's no inner circle, so to speak, in God's economy. There's a lot of religions that look at things this way. You've got the masses, and then you've got the people, the few, very few that know things. But in God's economy, that's not how it works. In fact, here Paul is praying to this, this church, for all of you, I want you to know, know the deep things and the secret things of God. Right? The stuff that really matters is to really get to know who God is. Honestly, I, I read passages like this, and when I start studying, I figure out what some of these words mean and what Paul's talking about. I, I just get excited because I'm sitting here thinking, I love this about Christianity. I love this about the gospel. I love that God is not the kind of God that says, well, you're not good enough to be let in on the, the real deal here. You're not good enough to be let in on the real scoop. But that God invites all of us right in. In fact, this is why in, in Christianity we don't have priests. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our high peace and we're actually all invited in into God's presence. We're all 
if you study your Bibles, we're all considered in God's view to be priests before Him. You don't have to go to another guy in order to get to God, but God actually invites you in to get to know Him. Right? I want you to know me. And so, and Paul's praying this for these people. Right? Now for this to happen though, I think, I think that there needs to be a major shift in how we think. There needs to be kind of a shift in thinking. There is one writer several years ago in England that wrote this, and, and I don't have the guy's name, but he said, As I take my shoes from the shoemaker and, and my coat from the tailor, so I take my religion from the preacher. Right? I, I think there's a lot of people that view Christianity that way. It, maybe, if, maybe you've even gone down this path a little bit. Maybe you've looked at it and you said, How oh, that deep stuff, that really weighty stuff, like theology, right? I'm going to leave that to the pastor to figure out. That's, that's, I'm just going to leave that up to him. I mean, I, I, I know the basics. I got it. That's all I need. But God is inviting you in to something much deeper than that. The secret things of what he's about. It's not just for... Now, does God call some people to be pastors and teachers? Yeah. But, you know, the, the point of doing that, what God does when He calls different people to be a pastor, to be a teacher, is so that God wants to use them to help draw everybody else into His, you know, His circle, His understanding of things. God has called all of you to be learners and to be understanders of what God has. Does that make sense? I mean, God has not just said, oh, only a few people get to know the secret stuff. In fact, Paul here, Paul the Apostle is praying for this church. I want to give you these things. I want you to be brought into this inner, the deep things of who I am and the secret things of who I am. Okay? Now, like I said, this kind of requires a major shift in thinking. It requires a major shift in how we view the things of God. Now, I want to put a quote up here. Uh, from C.S. Lewis. Have you guys heard the name C.S. Lewis before? C.S. Lewis, a lot of us know, has wrote the Chronicles of Narnia that's been made into movies and things now, but he lived quite a while ago. And, and, and C.S. Lewis, he also wrote several other things. And, and the, the excerpt I have that I'm going to share with you actually came from a sermon that C.S. Lewis preached one time. Okay? And so this sermon that C.S. Lewis preached uh, starts off and he says this. He says, Indeed, if we consider, now I'm going to read it, but then I'm going to explain it, okay? Because the way he talks isn't quite how we talk today. So I'm going to read it, and, and, and I'm going to sort out what he's talking about. He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Now let me explain that, and then I'll get to the rest of the quote. What C.S. Lewis is saying is this. He says, if, if you just read the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you, you're just really studying out who is Jesus. And you start reading about Jesus. He said, he said, one thing that you can take from Jesus and the kinds of things Jesus talks about. Because Jesus talks a lot about rewards, right? He talks about things like fullness of joy. Not just being happy, but I mean, full joy. Overwhelming joy. And rewards. And he talks about it all the time. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, because the Bible talks about being content and things like that. But Jesus is always talking about rewards in these things. And, and, and C.S. Lewis says, indeed, if somebody were to consider all this talk that Jesus does of rewards, it, you might think 
that our Lord, Jesus, finds that our desires, they're not too strong. That's how a lot of us view our desires. Like, man, I, I want all this stuff and I kind of have to tone down my desires. But he says, it's not that our desires are too strong. He says, they're, they're, they're too weak. Let me read the rest of this quote. It says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Now, I love this illustration. He says this, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Think about it. Imagine a child in an inner city slum and they're down there making mud pies. You come up and you go, I want to take you to the Pacific Ocean. We're going to fly out there to the Pacific Ocean. And I'm going to let you make sand castles and swim in the ocean. Because like, nah, I'm happy with this. I mean, do you understand what I'm offering? I'm offering you a day at the sea. Let me go back to making the mud pies. So much of what we are is is dominated by this way of thinking. Let me let me put it this way. We've settled for a home, a family, a few friends, a job, a television, a new microwave oven, an occasional night out, a yearly vacation, and perhaps maybe a new computer. We've accustomed ourselves to such meager, short-lived pleasures. Right? That our capacity for real joy, the real deal, has been shriveled up. For us to really say, wow, to understand what Paul is praying for this church, you've got to understand that us as humans, we're, we're too easily pleased. We're too easily pleased. God in the Bible is offering us full joy, infinite joy. And God wants us to not be satisfied with those feeble, passing pleasures. And there's some things that God does in our lives that are good things. When our family is all healthy and safe, when we have health, right? These are good things. But God is offering us something far beyond just having a good day. He's offering us infinite joy. And so I think that this is why, if you notice in the passage, Paul says... I'm praying for your wisdom and revelation. He doesn't just say that we'll have wisdom and revelation, but what does he say? Look, look back in Ephesians. God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you what? Wisdom and revelation? Isn't there something else right there before he says that? Did he say a spirit of wisdom and revelation? That's important. I mean, really what Paul's praying for is not that they would just have wisdom and revelation, but he is praying for a change of spirit in these people. He's praying for something to go on on the inside to radically change how they view the world. So no longer are they content. They No longer do they say, I just need faith in Jesus and I've got enough. Right? I, 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 I got it, got my ticket, I'm on my way to heaven, I'm good. And Paul's saying, I'm praying for something so much bigger and so much more than that. And, and so what I'm going to pray for is the spirit of this. Now, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is implying in this, in reality, 
the very Spirit of God. Paul is praying that the Spirit of God would be imparted to these people in such a way that there's a change on the inside to something bigger. Let me give you an application here, and I'm not going to put any more slides up, but there's basically two things as, as we walk away from this. We think, okay, praying for a spirit. Paul's praying for this church for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. There's two basic things that I think we can, we can walk away when we think about this. I think one thing that we can really, really let us settle in here is this. Number one, we really, really need to pray for each other. Right? I mean, you guys need to be praying for me, and I need to be praying for you, and you guys on this side need to be praying for the people on this side, and you guys need to be praying for this side, and, and we, we need to be praying for each other. It, many of us would say, I don't remember to pray very often, I, I forget a lot, I get... But, man, we need this spirit of wisdom and revelation. We need God to do things on the insides of us, don't we? It's not just about being good moral people. There's a lot of plenty of good moral people, but God is inviting us in to the deep and the secret things of who He is. He's inviting us into a real relationship with Him. Uh, the type of relationship that we can never say, I've had enough of God. I've got enough. Right? It's interesting because there's even a lot of people that they'll think about getting saved and they'll think, yeah, I want to get saved. But then when, they, when people start talking about heaven, the things they like about heaven are, the, the okay, it's going to be beautiful, no sickness, and, and, and uh, you know, these people are going to be there. I get to see you know, grandparents again and things like this. Right? But then when they start, you start bringing God into the, the idea of heaven, they're like, oh. And some people even look at heaven like, man, this is going to be a long, boring eternity. But it's better than the alternative. Right? I really don't want to go to the alternative to heaven. And so, ah, this is is the best there is, eternity with God. And they almost look like it's a big, long, eternal church service. Right? And the greatest thing of heaven is God himself. He is the greatest treasure. To, to get to know the creator of the universe, the Lord of all, the one who is sovereignly in charge of the universe, says, I want you to get to know me. And if you come to get to know me now, and we begin building this relationship, one day when you die, we're going to get to know each other for eternity. And you'll never get enough. There's always more, because I'm an infinite God. And so I invite you into relationship to start now. I invite you in now. And maybe you've looked at heaven kind of uh, sometimes because you kind of look at it. This, is it going to be boring? What's it? You are going to get to know God in a way you never could have known Him here in a fullness, in face to face. So we need to be praying for each other. I need to be praying for you, and you need to be praying for me. And we need to be praying, Lord, we're, we're thankful for the faith. We're thankful for the love that we have for each other. But God, I pray that you be with this person, that you give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. And Lord, I pray that you be with this person. Start praying for the people in our church. And there, there's other people. There's been a lot of people we've had visit lately that a lot of us have been praying for. Right? And we've had a lot of people come in. And, and, and we're not wanting a bunch of people to come in to, to get religion or to get to be better people, uh, good and moral people. We're not, that's not why we're praying because we believe that God is inviting all humanity into a personal relationship to get to know God. And we believe that one of the places that they can really get to know who He is is through church. That that's how God is destined for, for us to get to know these things. Right? We need to be praying. 
I think a second application is this. Not just praying for ourselves as well, but I think we need to have a real hope going to God. Because see, to, to really delight in God and really, really to enjoy God, that doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come automatic. Uh, we were talking about this in the teen class this morning, talking about delighting in different things. And, and, and like for me, I, I naturally delight in things that usually aren't very good for me, like a Big Mac, right? I can delight in that. But it, it's a temporary pleasure. It's a temporary pleasure. Right? But there are some really good things that God offers that aren't temporary pleasures. And we need to be sitting here saying, God, I, I don't want to miss those great things that you have for me. And so I think a second application is this. This might sound odd because this isn't really something you can do. But I think that we need to have a, a, a mindset that we say, God, I hope there's people in this church that are praying for me. I'm going to start praying for them, but Lord, I hope that there's people praying for me because I need it. I need it. My natural tendency is not to enjoy the things of God. But I know that those are the best things. And I don't want to miss out on the best things that God has. I don't want to be satisfied with temporary pleasures. I don't want to be satisfied with just having good health. I don't want to be satisfied with just having all my family safe. I don't want to be satisfied with just, just these, these, these are temporary things. I want to be truly satisfied with the greatest thing, Lord, you, God, and what you've done, and who you are. Lord, I hope that there's people praying for me. So that's the two applications I have for you. Pray for each other. Pray for those people in your life that, that are missing out on the great things of God. But then turn around and say, God, I hope there's people praying for me because I need it. I hope, Lord, that there's people that are, are crying out to me. And maybe pray, Lord, could you have people be praying for me, Lord, because I need lifted up. My tendencies are so off sometimes. Lord, help me. I'm going to begin that application by praying for all of you right now. And I want to encourage you while I'm praying to be praying for me as well. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you now. And Lord, I want to just take a minute to pray as Paul did. Paul prayed for that church in, in Ephesus and the other churches that received this letter. And Lord, he prayed that they would... He was thankful. Lord, he was thankful for their, their, their faithfulness. He was thankful for that faith and he was thankful for the love. But Lord, he turned around and he prayed that, that you would give them something else. And so Lord, I want to pray today for this church and I'm just thinking about every person in this room and Lord the ones that aren't able to make it today and Lord the ones that have come a few times but haven't had that steadfastness to continue Lord I just want to pray for them and Father I pray in Jesus name that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation Lord, I pray that you would do this with every heart in this room today. Lord, that you would begin to plant those seeds of your Spirit within them. Lord, we know that your Bible talks about people being filled with your Spirit. And so, Lord, that's what we're asking for. We're asking, God, that today you would fill each and every one of us with your Spirit. A Spirit of that wisdom and that revelation that you have for us. Lord, I pray that none of us would miss it. Lord, I pray that there would never be a person that comes into this church and walks out and they miss the great things of who you are. 
Lord, I know, and I know firsthand experience, Lord, that in my own heart and myself, I'm so quick to miss the really great things. I'm so easily satisfied with things that don't last. And so, God, I just pray, Lord, if there's others that are like me that are so easily satisfied, Lord, I pray that you'd stir up within us a, a dissatisfaction with those temporary pleasures and a desire for the great things of who you are. Lord, I just want to pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to dismiss you. Uh, today we're having uh, pizza, I believe. That's what we've ordered today. And so if you can stay for some pizza today, I would encourage you to stay. But I want to encourage you one last time, as you go through this week, if you, it crosses your mind to pray for me or to pray for other people in this room, pray for them right then, right there, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. Just say, Lord, I pray that you give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Lord, God, I pray. There's going to be other people that are going to pop in your head and you're going to say, Lord, I pray that you'd be with them as well. Just pray for everyone around you this coming week. All right? You are dismissed.